we've been in Matthew 6, and um, I was thinking this week, uh, when I was three or four years old, my parents took a home video of me learning how to pray. And you know how Jesus is like, let the little children come. And the Bible is like pro-children being wise. The types of prayers I was throwing up at three or four didn't prove his point very well. Um, but, but there's something to be learned, right? Because I was a child. And uh, so I started praying. Here I go. I got excited. I started walking around. I do this at home all the time. If we're on the living room, Leah and I are just chatting. And then I come up with an idea. I'll just get up and I'll start walking around. And she'll go like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> What's up, babe? I'm like, don't say that. Anyway, here's what's up, you know? Um, anyway, so I'm gonna walk around. Uh, but as a kid, I was praying, and uh, at three years old, I was just praying so hard, and what the Spirit had put in my heart to pray for was my grandfather's four-wheeler and his boat. And that was what was on my heart at three or four years old. I was like, God, be with grandpa's four-wheeler, except I said four-wheeler, you know, like, like a little kid, and be with his boat. And I'd like to say the four-wheeler from the 1970s is still up and kicking today, so prayer works. I'm telling you. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I texted my grandpa this week and said, hey, I used to pray for your four-wheeler, and it still works, doesn't it? And he said, yep. And that was our whole conversation. It was great. <laughs> he texted back, Y-E-P. I was like, grandpa, where'd it go? Um, anyway, um, so, but I remember praying for uh, like my grandfather's four-wheeler, for his boat, all these little things. And I was just kind of laughing at the things that you pray for as a kid versus as a teenager versus as an adult. And you slowly start to learn from either people that love God or whatever. You start learning like things to pray for and you look back and you can laugh a little bit talking about the kingdom of God. He's gonna give us some instruction on, hey, when you pray, here's kind of the big picture of what you're praying for. So he gets into some details with daily bread, with forgive us of our debts, with lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But right above that, he's gonna give us sort of an umbrella that captures the heart, kind of the posture of the whole prayer. So today's conversation feels like a posture conversation that as we pray, may everything we pray as children of God fall underneath this. And it's this simple sentence, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That comes first, right? So we start out with our father in heaven. We talked about this, our father who's a king, our father, who's, who's close, he's in heaven. We talked about how heaven's not up there, it's all around us. So our father, our Abba, who's near, hallowed be your name, he's holy, your kingdom come, he's a king. And then it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I remember my friend Dave asked me a, a question one day. He said, would Jesus ever pray something that he couldn't answer? Like, would he pray something God couldn't answer? And I knew the answer was no right? But I took time to think about it and went, no. And he goes, when Jesus prays, your will be done on earth in heaven, on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Like when your kingdom come, your will be done. Is it possible? Can we actually start to see heaven on earth, the realities of heaven on earth? And I wouldn't consider myself a pessimist or an optimist, more of a realist. That's what I feel. Maybe that makes me a pessimist because realists tend to be kind of pessimistic. Um, like, well, look around you, man. What do you think? You know, um, I don't know what fake conversation I just had. Um, I don't know what that was pertaining to. Look around you. I don't know. Um, but when I think about, you know, would Jesus ask us to pray something that couldn't happen? I go, no. But then when I think about, hey, do you think we could start seeing evidence of heaven on earth, like widespread? I'm like, Yes, <laughs> no, <laughs> like look around, right? But I, 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 wanna, I want us to think today about what it could look like to see heaven on earth. 
what it could look like for in little pockets of Nashville, through people like you and me, for heaven to begin breaking forth. Before I even get to what that could look like, the question that kind of struck me this week was, why would it be good news in the first place? Like, it's easy to talk like big picture, heaven on earth, it's amazing, but why would it be good news? And, and what's evidence of heaven breaking forth on earth? What kind of things would we see? And I'm gonna give us a few scriptures. If you take notes, write them down to demonstrate a little bit of what heaven looks like when it starts to break into earth. But today, to me, feels way more like a heart posture conversation. I feel like this is totally possible that we can start seeing the realities of heaven actually start being displayed on earth, but it starts with our hearts. So we're gonna get there, but let me start out with a few, a few passages of scripture. First, in Luke chapter seven, verses 22 through 23. All right. What happens when heaven starts to break into earth? The point is, I feel like we see a reality or we will see the reality of the supernatural work of God at hand. That's one of the things that will happen as heaven breaks into earth. So in Luke chapter seven, John the Baptist is, he's the guy that wore weird clothes and ate locusts and, and told everyone that Jesus was coming. So you'll see this in the gospel. So he's like, hey, everybody, just know that someone greater than myself is coming after me and he's the son of God. And he's gonna baptize with the spirit of God. And it's really powerful. He's a crazy guy, but he's full of the spirit and full of truth, okay? And he has this moment that I really relate to near the end of his life. He sends some of his followers to go find Jesus and ask Jesus, hey, are you, you're him, right? Literally, that's what they ask. You're the son of God, right? I know I said it. I know I preached it to thousands of people, but like fingers crossed, right? Have you ever been there where like you're at a church camp and you're like, like he reigns and heaven is, is right here and, and like God is breaking forth in our midst. And then two weeks later, you're like, I think, I think he's gonna, right? <laughs> like you ever had a moment like that where you're like, I don't know, where'd all that boldness go? And John the Baptist is having one of those moments. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus goes, here's the evidence that I am who I say I am. There is supernatural work that couldn't possibly be done by man that is breaking forth around me. That's evidence that heaven is coming near. And standing on as much faith as I can muster, really feeling the guy that said, I believe, help my unbelief. I wanna boldly say, we will see the supernatural work of God that will happen. There will be things that will happen among us where people will go, only God. That's when we know, man, heaven's near. It's coming. Another piece of evidence is in Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. This is the first church ever. And they, they receive the spirit of God and some, some really cool things start going down in their communities. And the, the point here is, uh, we'll see a reality of God's kingdom resources is what I called it, but I'll flesh it out. I don't know if that's a good thing to call it. Anyway. Listen to this in Acts 2. Just a group of people like us come to believe in Jesus. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Check this out. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day, attending the temple together and baking bread. I had a typo. I put brewing bread, which is not what was happening. I don't think that's possible. And brewing bread in their homes, 
I said it by accident. I shouldn't have even told you. Uh, Okay, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. When heaven meets earth, the people of God stop living out of scarcity. In a culture that says attain, 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 keep and hold just in case, kingdom people go, it wasn't mine to begin with. What's mine is yours. Our father, the provider, the same God that provides daily bread will provide there's this stunning reality, I mean, where the people of God are just selling stuff to help people in need. They're not giving out of their excess. They're giving what they have. <laughs> like, it's pretty wild. Like, you think 10% uncomfortable. Try selling your house because you had a brother in need, right? I mean, like, what in the world? I don't even know how that works out practically, but that's what happened. But it's evidence, right? It's radical living. It was radical then. We read it like it's normal. It's not normal to sell stuff for people that have need. That's not normal. And it happened. The Spirit's breaking forth. Also why it's awesome news when heaven meets earth. Like really cool things like that happen. Last passage is in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. The point here is you'll have the reality of unity amongst diversity. John says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Just imagine this. Whew. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When heaven breaks forth, the things that divide us have no hold. There is unity amongst diversity. Nothing displays unity amongst diversity like the kingdom of heaven. And one day we're gonna see that in its totality and there'll be no more doubt. But it's also for us here and now to see this in Nashville, in Ruby, in these little pockets. This is what it looks like when heaven comes to earth. But the main thing I wanna talk about for a little bit, and it really will be for a little bit, and then I'm gonna ask you guys some questions, is how does this actually happen in our context? Like, the like, preacher in me and the guy that wants to have a neat sermon, a powerful sermon, wanted just to sit in those three passages and really dig in. What could this look like? But I feel like God kept pulling me to, no, this is a heart conversation. Don't overcomplicate it. This is about the heart of every human right here. It's a posture of the heart. So how does this actually happen? How do we begin seeing bits of heaven in Nashville, in the Ruby, in your dorm rooms, wherever it is? How does this work? First, God is going to do this no matter what. We're invited in, okay? Like eternity, the reality of eternity, God's kingdom, not threatened. He's fine. He's gonna establish it. He's gonna do it in perfection. He's good. We're invited in this moment in time to participate in the bringing of heaven to earth, okay? But a couple things. Um, let's see. Yeah, here I go. First, all right, and really it's, it's really just one point with two subpoints. So first, how does it happen? It happens through each and every one of us. We were having a staff prayer, we were having a staff, we were having a staff prayer day, and we were praying because Metro Schools had kicked off. And I felt like God was just drawing my heart to think strategically. How do you get the gospel to Nashville? Literally every family, every neighborhood, everywhere. We're praying for the school system and I went, oh my goodness, it's teachers. 
I mean, like, school is like the only thing that everybody has to do. Like, that never happened. I didn't realize, as an adult, that really doesn't happen anymore. But when you're a kid, it's like, nope, school, everybody, go, right? I'm like, oh, okay, so if we get the gospel to teachers, all the kids will be around a Christian all the time. That's amazing. But then I thought, well, then they go home. And let's be honest, I think families are far more formative. So the teacher strategy is good. I don't know if it really solves it all. It's important, but I don't know. So I think, okay, well, then how do you get to families? Okay, so now I went to, all right, I've got to reach every family in Nashville. Okay, great. That's the plan. So let's do that. Um, as if we weren't already trying. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, how would that work? I guess you could throw a huge conference and call it like families of faith and invite every family here. I'm like, no, like our culture is not really we're not really in tune with like conferences. That's not really the thing anymore. We're not like event-based like we used to be. I don't know if we ever were, but we used to have huge conferences, still kind of do. Anyway, okay, that's not it. Have you ever heard about Kevin Bacon, the seven degree thing? Do you guys know what I'm referencing? Something about, can someone tell me what it is? Six. What does it mean? Anyway, every person in Hollywood is connected to Kevin Bacon. Forget I even said it. Here was the point I was getting at. (laughs) We don't know all of Nashville. And it's unrealistic to think we ever will. But we all know some people. Some people that aren't here right now, right? We're not in some container where none of us know anyone outside of the Ruby. Otherwise, this would be increasingly difficult. We all know people. And those people all know people. And what I realized was, oh, the way we reach everyone in Nashville is by everyone reaching everyone in Nashville. I know your minds just got blown and now we're ready to go. Let's do it. Let's walk out right now. Sermon's over, right? But no, what I realized was, oh my goodness, it makes so much sense that Jesus chose 12 people. Like, why wouldn't he choose 12,000? That would be way better, right? But no, he chooses 12, goes in deep relationship, and then tells them, no, go do what I did. And I realized, like, literally, not just like in a hype way, like, hey, you all do your part, we're going to change Nashville. But when we individually go, I am a disciple, and I am a disciple maker, that if we all just go get one to three different people, we would actually, like my boss, back in the day when I worked at a car lot, he said, hey, we didn't get it done, but we put a dent in it. We'd put a spiritual dent in our city. That wasn't a helpful example, but we would do it. If we all just went to one to three people, those one to three people know one to three other people. And I literally thought, strategically speaking, when we as individuals don't bypass the great commission, the calling on our life, like when we understand you are a pivotal part of the plan to see a city change for the, for the sake of Jesus, you're pivotal. Like, it's, it's a big deal. Like, Caleb, you, we need you, man, for real. Like, you need to be seeking the Lord and making disciples. Leah, you, we, we gotta have you. We can't do the thing where I just talk to you and you go, mm, done. No, like, we gotta get in this together. I, that's actually strategically, logistically, the only way it works. We can put a conference on it, like, at Nissan Stadium, like, once a year, maybe, All the Christians come and go, yeah, all right, but I don't think that's gonna do it. We gotta have every individual in the kingdom of God understanding they are a really pivotal piece to this. And then the second point or some sub point is okay, what if we got that? What if we all strategically understand I'm important. I'm important to furthering the kingdom of God. 
What does it take for the person that understands strategically I'm important? And I want you just to write this word down. It takes surrender. This prayer is real sexy. Oh God, your kingdom come, your will be done, ours is in heaven, amen. Have you tried to search your heart and pray your will be done, not mine? Like, have you ever actually come to the crossroads of your will or God's will and felt that? Not just over my Sunday morning church, like, no, like, like God, your will be done, not mine. If my will comes to a crossroads with yours and it's you or me, I'm going your way. The city of Nashville our church community, our dorm rooms, our neighbor, whatever you, wherever you, your places of work, anywhere you are, will change. We will see the realities of heaven when you understand, one, you're very important, and two, God's will over yours, 10 out of 10 times. And the good news is that God is a God of peace, of gentleness, of compassion, of grace, of love. He has infinitely more capacity to love people than you do. So when your will is sacrificed at the altar of his will, it is the best news for your life and the lives around you. You're not submitting your will to some like dictator, right? It's like, it's the God of the universe who is our father, the king. I remember when I was praying over this church last fall, and I felt like God said, Joshua, right now, okay, I'm, this is what I felt, all right? I didn't like, anyway, Joshua, right now, this is a culture full of banners. You gotta pick up one or two or seven banners and just proclaim them really loudly. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I care about. You better care about it or you suck. That's our culture. Just yell, and if you're not yelling with me, I'm yelling at you, right? It's, ah. And some good things are being yelled. I'm not saying, you know. Jesus said, or God, I feel like God was telling me, at this campus, at this church, unapologetically, Jesus is the banner. God's will over our will. That at the Ruby, if you're new here, it's like God put it just strongly in my heart that we will forever, forever, forever submit to the will of God. And that my job which is a really surreal dream come true, is to help you forever submit to the will of God. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for the people around you. He knows what's best for our country. And so I wanted to give us a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and just say, God, where are the places where I'm terrified to let your will be done? Where are the places where I'm so in love with myself, I'm so in love with control, I'm not letting you have the reins here? Where are the places where I'm scared? I don't know what, what these things are gonna be, but I'd love, can we get that list up? I kind of had this thought this morning and it's in no order, which will be obvious in a second. Hold on, it's coming. What would it look like if the people of God if just the Ruby, no other church, if just this place was full of people that said, God, seriously, I'm counting the cost. 
I'm not doing this blindly. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our church. Whatever you want. We're gonna listen for you. We're gonna read the word. And whatever we sense you leading us into, we're gonna go there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our calendars. The way I spend my time, God. That's where I'm getting hit this week. My brain, I spend my whole Friday watching YouTube and, I'm, and I know how lame that is, but whatever, I'm me and I did it. And I'm like, what just happened to my life? I'm like, it's five? What happened to my day off? Like I'm not even rested. God, your will be done on my calendar. You can have this. Your will be done in our friendships. When's the last time like, you looked at one of your best friends and was just like, what's God doing? What could he be doing here? What fire is he starting here? In our dating relationships, don't wait until you're married to pursue the kingdom with the person you're with. In our city, in our hearts, in our neighborhoods, in our minds, that one hit me hard this morning. The things I'm watching, what's it telling me? I started watching this new show on Netflix and there's no like explicit material, but there's a lot of sexual overtones. And the way that the men are treating the women in the show is just awful. And it's a really cool story, and I'm sure it's saying some really deep things. But I was talking to Leah, and I was like, I don't think I can watch this show. It's entertaining, but if I ever start replicating this towards you, trash, lose my job, lose my marriage, straight up. What am I doing? Like, why am I letting this have say in my brain? I've been getting more and more into like brain space, more and more into it, meaning I'm just thinking about it more. Speaking of what I'm thinking about, brain space, right? Like if I tell you, like you can't build, did I already say this, build a house here? Was that the nine? Did I say it here? Never, I did? Okay, but I haven't said it this morning. I did, the house thing. Ah oh, man, I got ahead of myself this morning. Well, forget it. Anyway, God was saying, but I feel like the Lord was saying, what are you feeding your mind? What songs are you listening to? And I'm not saying you got to turn on the fish and just brainwash yourself in some interesting Christian music that I'm sure some of, some of it is very good. Like, I, wow, I got really far into that. Forget everything I just said. But just going, God, what is the messaging that I'm just flooding my brain with? I don't respect anything they're doing on that show. I respect none of what they're doing. It's disrespectful. It's sexist. It's awful. Why am I watching it? Like, this is stupid. Like, at the best case scenario, I completely ignore it and nothing changes. Or I slowly get affected by it. Anyway, that's where I was at, our minds. In our budgets, you already heard me last two weeks ago talk about me and Leah and our budget. You let the Holy Spirit get a hold of that. In our dorms, in our jobs, in our hobbies, fill in the blank. But what would it look like if we as a people would take some time to sit still in the presence of God and go, hey, God, just like the guy that said, I believe, help my unbelief with as much as I know how, your will, not mine, in this area. I wanna give us some time to actually talk to the Lord this morning, to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to know our anxious thoughts. Because as you read this list, I hope, I hope that, that one or two of those grabbed your heart. You went, okay, I'm definitely not giving him anything there. <laughs> like, that's mine. And to talk with God, God, this is hard. It's hard for me to say you will be done here. I like this too much. Or I don't know how to let go. I just wanna give you time to pray and discern on your own which of these sticks out to you. Or, or maybe God's bringing something up in your mind. But where's the area of your life where it's really hard to say, God, your will be done, not mine? 
and then just to try with the Lord. God, will you help me trust you? I'm gonna just try to say the sentence. I remember at one point I was in a, I'm about to be done. Hold on. Yeah, I'm about to be done. Uh, I remember I was in this season where I was single and I just, I had to be married. I had to. And it was a part of my story and it was a must and it was gonna happen. I remember God just like, just kind of like, hey, why? When did I tell you that? At what point did marriage get in the way of me and you being close? And I went, I don't know, but I'm not ready to give it up yet. I thought about it for a couple weeks. I remember just crying in my room saying, God, and just through gritted teeth, I don't have to be married to love you. I don't have to be married to live on mission. I don't have to be married to make disciples. And I literally gritted my teeth and cried as I said it, (laughs) as strong as I could be. The things he did in my heart in that season, I still look back and go, man, that was potent. He helped me dream. He helped me reimagine what it could be to be a Christian in Nashville. It was amazing. And now I'm married, which is also amazing. But I just remember that season. Like God said, hey, nothing gets in the way. My will, I've got you. Let go. So I wanna give us a few minutes on your own to pray, talk to God, and the simple question of what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? As I've said everything I've said, what's, what's rising to the surface in your heart? And just talk to the Lord about it. If you're new here, I always want this space to feel like a living room. You don't have to stay in your seat. You can walk around, you can go outside. You don't even gotta come back. Whatever it looks like for you to be with the Lord and really wrestle here. Where's the Holy Spirit nudging your heart? Don't be scared. He takes you to green pastures. He's in it for your good and his glory. It's gonna be great, but let's pray for a few minutes and then I'll, I'll bring us back. Whatever it looks like for you to interact with God, seriously, there is no wrong way need to stand, move around, please, please do it. A couple things. Um, first, to be clear about this list, you know, we gotta be careful here. This isn't to demonize anything non-gospel related. <laughs> you know, like, um, I think sometimes we can really put a, far greater void in like the Christian secular thing. Like, it's like, I'm not trying to get you to pray and discern what kind of cereal you should eat or if it's okay to go play basketball with your friends or something, you know. I think this is more of a posture conversation going, whose voice takes precedent in my life as I live life? Um, A couple things that I thought of, um, just so you know that I participated and am in this as well. One was my Fridays, so I work uh, Sunday through Thursday, so I get Friday and Saturday off, and Leah, my wife, she works on Fridays, and so um, I've already told you about my YouTube thing, so that was tough to say out loud. I didn't plan that, and, uh, but I've realized that I don't rest very restoratively. I rest in a way that just numbs my brain for six hours, and then, um, yeah, so that's one place where I'm like, oh man, I think there's a restorative rest available to me. I love spending time with the Lord, but I don't believe I love it until I actually am in it. And <laughs> so that lack of belief makes it hard for me to actually get to the point where I'm doing it. So I think Fridays are a really awesome opportunity for me to be alone with the Lord in an awesome way. And then I've already told you about my entertainment. That was one as well. Um, we really want you to be involved here. We want you to participate. Um, yeah, your voice matters and, and there's people around you that have a lot of wisdom that the Holy Spirit will speak through as you listen to them. And so I want us to spend five minutes sharing with someone around us what the Holy Spirit said during this time. Um, and a couple of ground rules before we break into that. Uh, one, you don't have to do it, is for sure. 
you can circle up and not speak. You cannot circle up at all. That's okay. No one's gonna like pull your arm and be like, oh, come on, it'll be fun, it's worth it. No one's gonna do that, I don't think. Please don't. Um, so if you don't want to, don't do it. That, that really is okay. Um, but we do believe that what you have to share is awesome or maybe that what someone else is sharing is awesome. And so um, when you circle up, if you do choose to share, for the listeners in the room, just say thanks for sharing. And if, you know, don't ever, like, don't correct them or go on like an apologetics tangent. Um, just like, it's vulnerable to share. So let people share and just say thanks. And then uh, last thing is, don't get in circles of more than five. Because if you get like six to eight, you kind of defeat the purpose of the circle, which is to participate and everyone gets to share and listen. And so I wanna invite you right now, and this is gonna be messy, watch out for coffee, um, to circle up in groups of three to five and just share simply with one another, what was the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? And that's it. Just what were you hearing from God? And so literally right now, circle up in groups of three to five. If all of you opt out, that'll be awkward and cool. That's okay. So um, circle up your chairs, three to five. If there's someone in your group that you don't know, introduce yourself. Um, We'll take communion together in a few minutes. But just share with one another, what were you hearing today? What's been on your mind as we've done this? What's something God was sharing with you? What's on your heart?